You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. I do carry a smartphone, but I will say this. Location is only on when it's needed, and then it gets turned off immediately. Same with Bluetooth, same with Wi-Fi. And the first thing you do when you get any new bit of kit is go through and see what's extraneous and take it out. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from Harbor Labs and the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. We've got some good stories to share this week, and later in the show, Carol Terrio speaks with Ian Thompson from The Register about why he has no IoT in his house, along with with his advice for those who do. All right, Joe, we've got some good stories to share this week. Why don't you lead things off for us here? Dave, my story comes from businessplus.ie, Okay, an Irish uh, website. And of course, as I'm looking at this, there's an ad to the right to remind me that the last game of the Six Nations tournament is this weekend. Thank goodness. And it will have happened <laughs> by the time this is released. Okay. Um, so I'm really excited about this game. All right. So, but it... it uh, on when this episode drops, everybody will know if I was uh, if I was disappointed or not. Okay. <laughs> but this article is called 10 Social Engineering Techniques Used by Hackers." Mm. Uh, so it's been a while since we've had a an episode where I've talked about the general nature of social engineering. Yeah. Uh, and it, I came across this article and was like, "This is a pretty good summary." Okay. So, of course, I also love lists, so we'll go through this like a list. <laughs> okay. Number one, baiting, uh, which is where someone uses a false promise to appeal to your greed or maybe your curiosity. Okay, yeah. Uh, this is not just a social engineering trick, but it's also a marketing trick. Mm. You see on uh, all kinds of websites, clickbaiting. Right. You know, you see the, the headline trails off with a little ellipsis, those little three little dots. Mm-hmm. They're like... Brooke Shields said, what? What did Brooke Shields say? Right, right. That, that's what it is. Right, yeah. It's the curiosity. I've heard part. that refers, yeah, the, uh, I've heard it refer, referred to as the information gap. Right. Uh, I think YouTubers use this all the time. You know, you you won't believe what happened when we did this. Right. What happened? Wait, I need to know what happened. <laughs> I, really? When I believe it? I'll bet I do believe it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's my response to these things. I've become so cynical that, that this baiting really doesn't work on me, at least not for the information gap. Right. Uh, but greed... Greed, I, I I do have a little bit of greed in me. Okay. Uh, so I've got to be careful to watch out for people that uh, promise uh, returns, right? Another <laughs> right. great example is an affected memory stick. That's another another thing. I, I, I don't really fall think I fall victim to that one because I do have a, a process for that. It involves a Raspberry Pi yeah. taking a look at things. Uh, and if everything goes south, I'll just pull the disk out and rewrite it. Okay. Uh, which you can do with a Raspberry Pi. It's nice. Next, pretexting. Mm. Pretexting is the the story that they tell you. Uh, it says here, an attacker uses a made-up scenario uh, to provoke an employee to disclose sensitive information. I like to say that it's the story they tell you to get you into the right mindset. Uh. Because if I called you on the phone and said, hey, Dave, I'm a scammer, and I'm going to try to take all your money out of your bank account, <laughs> you'd be like, well, goodbye. Right. right. But if I call you and say, hey, Dave, I'm from your bank, and we need to log into your bank account because there's some fraud going on here. Yeah. Now I have your attention. Yes. Right? Yes. It's the lie. 
uh, a watering hole attack, which is uh, where the attack, the, the attacker, this is not really a social engineering attack, but it does rely on people behavior, the behavior of people. Yeah. So what they do is they will get a website that they know a group of people go to where they want to gain ingress into that group. Like, let's say it's an employee group uh, right. or a software engineering group or something like that. Uh, they will, if they, they will exploit a vulnerability in there that lets them uh, perform some kind of malicious activity when the people they want to target come to that site. Hmm. Okay. Quid pro quo. Yes. Uh, this is an attack that relies on someone's sense of re- reciprocity. I did something for you. Now you have to do something for me. Mm. Uh, this is actually a, a, a t- an intelligence technique as well. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know? They mm-hmm. use this a lot in intelligence gathering. Yeah. Uh, so basically whatever it is, is they will ask for assistance after if somebody's been really nice to you. Mm-hmm. So you'll feel obligated to help because they did something for you. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, scareware. This is, we see this a lot. In fact, I actually landed on a scareware site yesterday. Really? Yep. And uh, right there in the middle of the office where I work with a bunch of uh, other security engineers, my computer started saying, caution, your computer has been detected. <laughs> it started saying it out loud? It started saying it out loud. Wow. Through the speaker system of my, of my <laughs> computer. I haven't, heard, I haven't seen that in a while. Uh, yeah. It was really embarrassing. <laughs> oh, I, I went to, I was looking something up. I was trying to find a quote from somebody. Uh-huh. Uh, and I went to some site that said it had quotes in the Google searches, and this is what I got. Could have been worse. Could have been, been porn. It could have been. <laughs> Had that happened too. Yeah. That's yeah. awful. My boss standing right behind me. Yeah. Oh, he laughed and turned away, and I was so glad he was understanding. Uh, but yeah, scareware is is just what it said. It tries to scare you into action, and that's exactly what this was. It was very difficult for me to close the browser too. Oh, yeah. I was surprised by that. Ugh. Um, for physical penetration of organizations, a really effective means is tailgating or piggybacking, mm-hmm. right? Now, this is like you have badged access to somewhere. And because we are polite beings, uh, we have said that when we're walking in, we hold the door for people. That's right. Right? Well, not in a secured area. Uh, and in fact, I've been uh, employed by places where they say if somebody else is, uh, is coming in behind you without swiping their badge, you're supposed to tell them, swipe your badge. Yeah. Go back out and swipe your badge. Yeah, but there's a lot of, uh, I guess, normal social uh, or social norms in any place other than a secure location right. makes that hard to do. It does. <laughs> right. Uh, a great trick with this is uh, that social engineers will use is they will have their hands full. Yeah. Uh, and how you get around that is you say, oh, you have your hands full. Let me hold your stuff and you go ahead and swipe us in. Right. <laughs> that That's, you turn the tables on them. <laughs> Next is one of my least favorite terms, vishing, right? Oh, okay. uh, it's just calling in on the, on the phone and, yeah. and running a scam. It's a f- phone scam is all it is. It's the same thing as a scam when somebody walks up to you, except it's on the phone. Right. Uh, shoulder surfing. Now, that's a technique that is used to gather things like passwords mm. and uh, mm-hmm. things of that nature or mm-hmm. to see what's going on in a, in a website that you might not have information. You, you, you might get information disclosed to you that you're not entitled to get. Yeah. And this is really simply just standing behind somebody <laughs> and watching what they're doing. I've heard of this happening at ATMs, yep. uh, gas pumps, and yep. you know, anywhere you have to put in your pin. It's for a great your... way to get a pin. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, 
It's also, uh, it can be easily overcome by uh, using multi-factor authentication or, uh, or strong passwords, although mm-hmm. I really think multi-factor is the way to go. Um, next, they have on this list, and this is an old one that I haven't thought of in a long, long time. Hmm. Dumpster diving. Oh. Hmm. You, when was the last time you thought about dumpster diving as a means of extracting information for social engineering purposes? It's been a, well, I don't know that I've ever thought of that. Oh, but, really? But, <laughs> well, but I, I mean, I've certainly, in my younger days, I certainly did my share of dumpster diving because I loved electronic gadgets. Right. And dumpsters were often great places to find things that other people didn't need anymore, but be could be of great use to me. Sure. So, uh, yes, I have found... Um, Frightening things on people's discarded computers that they <laughs> yeah. did not know they were throwing away. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, whenever I'm throwing away a computer, I take the hard drive out and uh, and I, I take the platters out and smash them with a hammer. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I thought I was nuts for doing this, but I heard another one of my coworkers doing that with the the uh, chips on a on a SSD recently. Hmm. He was just hitting them with a hammer in his office. I walked in there. <laughs> what are you doing? He says, oh, I'm just destroying this hard drive. I'm like. Oh. Yeah, I feel vindicated. Okay. <laughs> Very good. Now, keep in mind, I work in a security company. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's, these are the kind of people. And the last list on, or last item on this list, rather, not the last list in this list. The last item on this list is deep fakes, hmm. uh, which are essentially synthetic media. We've talked about them a lot in this show. Yeah. Um, in the past, I have said I was not too terribly concerned about this. But I am very concerned about this for the upcoming election cycle. Oh, I think, uh, you know, the audio that you played me uh, a couple episodes ago, uh, people can go back and listen to that. That is, that is remarkable and and how good it is. And it's only going to get better from here. Yeah. Well, we saw a story recently where a researcher was able to log into his bank account using a synthetic version of his voice. Yeah. That's terrifying yeah <laughs> yeah so here we go everybody <laughs> and, and well but i'm with you i mean up until that point i was pretty skeptical of it right especially the notion of using deep fakes for any kind of real-time interaction but i think we're at the point now where that's plausible yeah it's and definitely plausible the stories are starting to come in where people are doing that so yep. not sure how we get around that one but uh it's certainly one to keep an eye on all right. Well, uh, we will have a link to that story in our show notes. Uh, my story this week, actually, I, I'm kind of uh, using a, a press release from the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, as a point of departure for us here. Okay. Uh, so the FTC just uh, finalized an order. They required the makers of Fortnite, the, the Epic Games Epic folks, Games, yes. Yep. To pay $245 million for tricking users into making unwanted charges. So we're talking about dark patterns today, Joe. Huh. So the FTC has a settlement with Epic, and basically they're saying that um, Epic had all kinds of dark patterns in their games to get people to make unintended purchases in the games. Uh, They also said that Epic made it way too easy for children to make purchases while playing Fortnite without requiring any consent from their parents. Uh, And then also Epic, uh, according to the FTC, um, if you disputed unauthorized charges on your credit cards, Epic would lock you out of your account Ah, to play the game. Uh, So the commission voted uh, four to zero to, (laughs) I guess unanimously Unanimously, would be the way to say that, to uh, approve this fine against Epic. 
Um, but it really speaks to this notion of dark patterns, which is really what I want to dig into here today. Um, you know, in gaming, I, I went and actually looked up some of the the methods that uh, they were using in uh, Fortnite here. And in gaming, a lot of the dark patterns will be, like, let's say, for example, you're playing a game and uh, you want to buy some coins to use in that game. Right. Right. In well, Fortnite, those are called V-Bucks. Okay. So you go to buy those and there'll be a selection, there'll be a, a spectrum of things you could choose. Right. But the one they really want you to choose is already highlighted. Right. It's ready to go. Yes. Right? It's there. <laughs> right? It's the one with the most coins and the biggest profit. Right. And that's the dark pattern. They're, they're making it easy for you to do the thing that is in their best interest and not necessarily yours. Huh. You know, I think about this, and when I signed up for Fortnite, I knew it was free to play. Yeah. But I could buy some V-Bucks that uh, would let me play with uh, to to get the the rewards for the season. That's how they do this. You you pay a 950 V-buck price, okay, to uh play for the season and in the season you will get more V-bucks. Okay. Usually around 1500 V-bucks. Okay. But for some reason I purchased the 5000 V-buck package, not the 1000 V-buck package, which would have been the minimal amount I needed to buy. Hmm. My reasoning was that the the, the 1000 V-Bucks was 10 bucks but the 5000 was like 25 bucks. Okay. But I don't know if I wonder if I fell victim to this. Now, Dave. See, now, <laughs> you now you got me second guessing myself. You may, you may have. Because I still have 5000 V-Bucks well, on my there Fortnite you go. account. Right. <laughs> right. Right. And that's and, and that's that's how they get you. That's and, how and they get you. Yeah. So um there are lots of examples of this. I, I, I was doing some other, you know, looking around, poking around for other examples of this. And I think one that we probably all know about is when you want to get something done, and let's just say it's something, uh, you want like a PDF reader or something right. like that. You want some little innocuous utility that you, you have some sort of technical itch that you need to have scratched. Yes. And you want to do it quickly. You want to do it now. You want a single function tool that'll just do that thing. Right. So you go to the website with the... F- the box of software pictures on on the uh, on the site. Right. right, and so you go to let's. I mean, let's just say I'm on my mobile device, and right. I go to Apple's App Store, and I say I need a PDF reader, and I search for it, and the thing comes up, and it says "Good news," <laughs> right? Here is a free PDF, free to use PDF reader, just for you. Install it, and all your problems will be solved. Right. And I think to myself, this is great. And so I sign it up, I sign up and I install it. And somewhere along the lines in the microscopic print, right. <laughs> chances are it said, this item is free to use for five days. After that, you'll be charged $5.99 a minute. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> it's usually it's like, you know, it's usually something like $10 a month or five. Right. But I've seen ones that are even $50 a week. Right. Right. Yeah. And they work off of the notion that uh, you're either not going to notice right away. I'm going to notice $50 a week, Dave. <laughs> well, but so that's a, that's a really good point. So some of them will keep it, try to keep it below a threshold of where you're going to notice. Right. You're going to notice $50 a week, but you might not notice $5 a month. That right. might be below your noise floor of, yep. is this worth my time? Yep. Right. And so let's say they get you for five bucks a month. And how long is it going to take you to notice 
that they're bleeding you for $5 a month, they're hoping you never notice. Right. And you pay $5 a month for the rest of time. If I can get 1,000 people to do that, that's $60,000 a year. Exactly. Exactly. And so they're counting on the fact that you're going to forget. Now, my way around this typically is I'll set a reminder for myself. <laughs> right. <laughs> like at, at, you know, at the four-day mark or right. something like that to, yes. to disable the software. Or I'll use it for what I'm using it for, immediately opt out and, you know. Be just, done with it. Yes, and be done with it. I will say uh, to their credit that um, uh, Apple is very good about right. uh, putting a stop to this. So they, they actually are a helpful middleman when it comes to this sort of stuff. Uh, not so helpful that they don't allow the vendors to do this, but right. <laughs> because Apple gets a cut of it, of course. Of course, thirty percent, I think. Yeah, and uh, you know, I, I think it's the same on any of these platforms. But so uh, anyway, that is the one that I think we're probably most familiar with that we run across, you know, from time to time. Uh, I also came across a website that I will include a link to in the show notes, uh, and it's called Deceptive Design. Mm. And it is a website that is dedicated to this stuff. Uh, and they have a section on their website called the Hall of Shame, which is just delightful if you're into this stuff. It's just, it's, it's, it's a long, they collect a list of places where people are doing this. There's, I'll just read a couple of them. There's here, one here from an airport where after you prepay for parking, uh, you hit a button that l seems to be a continue button, but it actually tricks you into subscribing to unrelated services. Mm. Nice. Yeah. Right? Things like Skype tricking you into uploading your entire address book. Uh, we talked about that last week. Yeah. Has a dialog box that has no option to refuse. That is just infuriating. Well, how do you, how do you, how do you not do that then? Well, that's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> Uh, Instagram doesn't allow you to keep your account deactivated. It reactivates your account and doesn't allow you to deactivate it again. It says, sorry, you can only disable your account once a week. Try again in a few days. <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> that makes me want to... No, it's not. I was going to say something violent, but I'm not going to say something... Yeah. Well, I, want to, I want to punch somebody in the face. And I was going to name somebody, but I'm not going to do it. Right, right. Everybody knows what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, so uh, that's... But... You, the thing is, you read these things and you think, how could this be so? How could it be this blatant? How could it be? And how could people fall for this? But they're designed <laughs> for you to fall for them. They're so clever. They're so uh, backhanded or underhanded, I guess is the right. word I'm looking for, um, that the, the odds are against you here. Um, so anyway, I will include a link to uh, this deceptive design site. Uh, in the show notes. Uh, I think it's worth looking through. This is one of those things that's worth sharing with your your friends and family because these things are everywhere. Uh, and I think it's really great that in this case, the FTC has cracked down on Epic Games to say, you know, knock it off. There's real money at stake here. Hopefully some of the other big players who are doing this sort of thing will see what's going on here. Yeah, that's a quarter of a billion dollar fine. Yeah. What does Epic make in a year? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it seems, who knows? I mean, it seems to be, that is a chunk of cash that would, I think would get any company's attention, but I don't know. You know, it might be, might be 1% of their proceeds. I, who knows? Uh, um, just a quick Google search in 2021, 2021, their revenue was like $5.7 billion. So that is significant. It's yeah. uh, about 5% of their annual revenue. Okay. So real money. Yep. Real money to them. 
But again, hopefully other organizations will see this and, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> an internal memo will go around that'll say, let's stop doing this. But right. I doubt it. I doubt you it. You know, I'd like to know how far back this goes because I, recently Epic changed the way you get things in Fortnite so that you have to press and hold the mouse and fill a bar up to uh, to purchase an item. And I'm wondering if that is a result of this case. And I, I remember being impressed with that, going, mm. oh, this is pretty cool. Now I can't just accidentally purchase something. Right, right. Um, and maybe that maybe that's a result of the this FTC judgment. Yeah, could be. My recollection is that this stuff really started to take off when we had all of those free-to-play games filling right. up and the Fortnite app Right, and Fortnite is free-to-play. You don't have to pay anything to play it. Right. So right. you can, you can, and you even get a couple free V-Bucks. Eventually, you can start buying the Battle Pass with them. Yeah, yeah. So, so there's right. Joe's cheap guy chip tip of the week. <laughs> so we will have a link to uh, both the FTC's announcement here and then also uh, that deceptive design uh, website where you can check out their Hall of Shame. That's a good we're, website, we're by the way. Out. It's pretty got some awesome stuff in it. Yeah. All right, Joe, it is time to move on to our catch of the day. Dave, our catch of the day comes from Lauren, who writes, hope you guys are doing well. Uh, I very much enjoy listening to your podcast. I work in accounting or finance for a startup, and we, we received a pretty decent phishing attempt today. I've changed the names here and added employee titles to their names to emphasize that the scammer seems to have successfully gathered the information regarding who to contact in our organization. So it's actually a series of messages, Dave. So why don't you read the first message that comes in? Okay. So this is from the scammer. Right via an external email address, and it has the contact name of their CEO. Correct. And it says, Chelsea, AP accountant, kindly inform Audrey, VP of finance, that it is imperative to pay this invoice urgently. Let me know if you receive the attached files. I will need a wire transfer confirmation receipt as soon as the payment is made. Best regards, Jeffrey Lehman, CEO, chief executive officer at redacted company name. Right. Okay, so now those titles were put in by uh, Lauren. Okay. That's to make it clear. Yeah. So the first message uh, that comes in contains an attachment that reads as follows. Okay. Please find attached the invoice which contains the cost breakdown of the work completed with our bank wire information along with the W-9 form. Payment terms due on receipt. We will need a confirmation as soon as the payment is sent out via wire transfer and do not hesitate to contact us via email with any questions. Kindly confirm the receipt of my email with the attached files. Attached is a legitimate appearing invoice and W-9. Right. Now, W-9 is a request for validation of your uh, EIN number. Okay. So it looks like not only are they uh, sending you an invoice, but they're also asking you to fill out a W-9. Okay. Uh, which is, um, I, I don't know what the tax impl- implications are here. I'd have to talk to my son about this um, because he's the accountant in the family. Now. <laughs> okay. Uh, but anyway, it's it looks like that's an opportunity for more identity theft or more corporate fraud here. Yeah. Um, but Chelsea then responds to the scammer like this. Hi, Jeff. I have received and entered the information. I will pass it on to Audrey for approval and let her know the urgency, but we do not currently have the funds to pay that. Kind regards. To which the scammer then replies, Chelsea, how much do we have in our checking account at the moment? I need to know before you send it to Audrey. Best regards, Jeffrey, CEO. Right. So here at this point, the AP accountant uh, responded with the current bank balance 
that was in the current amount that was in the balance and said, or in the bank and said, uh, we also have a huge payroll. We have to, uh, we're expecting to cover payroll coming up at the end of this week. Yeah. Uh, and that would not leave enough cash to fund this incredibly high wire transfer. So be mindful of that. There's the, the attacker wants to know how much money is in the account. And they know now that they have payroll coming up. Mm-hmm. And what does the scammer say in response? Yes, I am very much aware of the payroll. Please send the invoice to Audrey for approval and ensure that it is paid promptly. I am expecting an international wire transfer this evening, so rest assured that the payroll will be sorted. I am eagerly awaiting the confirmation of the wire transfer. So at this point, the AP accountant forwards this email to the vice president of finance, Audrey, in this you know, uh, pseudonym of Audrey, mm-hmm. uh, who noticed the phrasing of the email was a little weird and that the email was coming from an external address that was not the CEO's. Mm. So she reaches out to the CEO and the CEO goes, yeah, that's not me. And it gets nipped in the butt. Wow. Okay. So a pretty good example of pro- of process being followed here. Yeah. yeah. Lauren, Lauren says, I'm still pretty puzzled how they got the correct names of the people who would be responsible for this in our organization. Uh, my guess is LinkedIn. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> right? Yeah. That they went to LinkedIn, they they clicked on the company and they found everybody that worked there. They found that who the VP of finance is. They found a uh an a, an accounts payable accountant and they know this then the, the person they're going to impersonate, they knew all that stuff before they went in. Right. Um so they send the the email to the essentially lower level accountant as the CEO invoking the name of the VP of finance that the lower level accountant probably works for and interacts with on a daily basis. Uh, and then continued along with this process that was actually successful for a period of time. Yeah. Lauren says she also finds it fascinating that they asked, uh, the current bank balance. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a, a, another common, uh, thing that actually goes back from check scams, hmm. right? If you get a hold of someone's checkbook and you write yourself a $10,000 check, um, then, or let's say you write yourself a thousand dollar check and you walk yeah. into a bank and you say, here's a thousand dollar check. This person has written me. And the person says, well, they don't have a thousand dollars in their account. And you go, well, how much do they have in the account? I can deposit, uh, the money to cover it and just, and get it out. So let's say they have 500 bucks. So you say, I'll put 500 bucks in and then I'll take the 500 bucks out and settle up with the 500 bucks for the person later. Hmm. Right. Um, that's that's a pretty an old well it's an old it's a common old scam I don't know if it still works anymore but right it, it was one of the ones that used to work back in the days of uh, check cashing scams hmm. uh, they're probably still around so uh, the scammer here is asking how, what the bank balance is because they need to know uh, how much money they can get out of the company that's why they're asking that question yeah finally Lauren notices that the person really projected a lot of I'm the CEO confidence with yes I'm very much aware of the payroll. Yeah. Uh, in the response. I agree with that hundred percent. That kind of comes off as intimidating. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you might, you might hear from, you might, you might, that might be what you hear from the CEO. Right. And then they come up with a plausible, uh, explanation as to why they're not worried about it. We got another international money transfer coming in this week. It's all going to be good. Yeah. Uh, these guys are perfectly happy to screw everybody at this company out of their paychecks. <laughs> That's what I wanted to, to come to that. These, these people are horrible people. They are monsters, and they they are perfectly fine 
taking everybody's paycheck from them and and jeopardizing the ability for them to uh, live their lives. Well, and I think it also demonstrates the degree of professionalism with which they operate. They, right? Yeah, they, that's a good point. They know their stuff here and, uh, and you know, good on the the things that this organization put in place to to stop it um because it very you could very easily see how this could have gone through correct and i want to thank lauren for sending this in and i hope that lauren may not also be your real name but if it is <laughs> thank you lauren right, right. even if it isn't thank you yeah and we would love to hear from you if there's something you'd like us to consider for the show you can email us it's hackinghumans at the cyberwire.com Joe, it is always great to welcome Carol Terrio back on the show. And this week, she is speaking with Ian Thompson from The Register. They're talking about smart tech in the home and how Ian shies away from IoT devices. Here's Carol Terrio. Today, listeners, I have the pleasure of speaking with Ian Thompson, a seasoned tech journo at The Register uh, and a person I've known for decades. I was going to say quite literally decades in our case. (laughs) Yes. Now, there are many interesting things about Ian, but one of them is rather than surround himself with all the latest smart tech, like 99.999% of tech journals I know do, he says that actually he refuses to have a smart tech in his home. And today, I thought together we would find out why. So, Ian, welcome. Can't wait to dive into this. Always a pleasure to chat. Uh, uh, and uh, if I'm going to be held out as the global Luddite, I shall wear it with pride. Excellent. No, no, I'm because I'm on the fence, right? I'm half Luddite, half keen, and I sit there. So I'm interested. I, I could be pivoted. So first, maybe, why don't you uh, tell our listeners a little bit about you, your background? Who is Ian Thompson? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> well, okay, we've only got 20 minutes. <laughs> Born of the God Zeus, and the- <laughs> <laughs> I've been covering technology for, in one way or another, for about the last thirty years. Still remember, but I still have my first computer, a ZX eighty one, for that matter. Although the RAM pack long since died, so it's pretty much useless. <laughs> I love technology. You know, I love finding out about new things about it. I particularly like the security field because it's constantly changing and constantly evolving. Mm. Um, I have had, you know. I'm one of the few people, I think, on the, on the planet who actually used a creative nomad for more than five minutes, uh, back <laughs> when MP3 players were a thing. Um, <laughs> built my first computer when I was still in my teens. And yeah, I mean, I love technology, but this this whole smart devices and Internet of Things thing is just apprehensive, simply because I've been covering the security beat for so long, and I know how insecure these devices are, and I don't, frankly trust the companies that make them that much. Um, <laughs> Hold on a sec. Hold on a sec. You do have your tech cred. So not only have you done all these things, but you've written what? How many articles? Have you? Do you think you've hit a thousand yet? Oh, good. No, for the register, I'm on about, I'm coming up to 5,000. 5,000 listeners. That is a lot. I've been there 12 years. So, you know, well, I mean, before that, at, at the late and little lamented vnunet.com, I was doing four articles a day, but that was really churn and burn. Yeah. But I mean, for that, you need good hardware. And I've, I, I'm very picky about the computers I use. And also like your living condition. Do you live on your own? Do you live with other people? Uh, I live with my wife and a very aggressive cat. 
<laughs> okay, so we have this tech journo, serious tech journo, who's been in the industry for 30 years. You love tech, mm -hmm. but no IoT in the house. No. I've got these things called fingers. They're really good. You know, if I want to adjust the thermostat temperature, I can go and press a button or rotate a dial as it was in the last house. Are you jealous of the people that can do it from their car? Um, not really, because I just don't see the point. It doesn't have a convincing use case, and given the the potential problems with it. Plus, I don't like the idea of having something in the house that listens all the time. So it's a privacy concern, primarily. Do you think it, it is? A, it's certain. It's it's certainly a privacy concern, but it's mainly. I just don't see the use case for it by and large. I mean, at first, I have to say, when Google Assistant came out, I was kind of like, and when Siri came out, I was trying those left, right, and center. Right. But then I started to notice that, because I'm an Android user, and I started to notice that when I was saying okay to someone in conversation, the screen would light up and it would say, ah, okay, okay, Google, right, but tell me something that, uh, you know, that needs to be done. And that started me thinking about, well, hang on, how could this be abused? Do I really need it? No, I just turned it off and I've, I've kept it that way ever since. Um, I'll still do voice searches on some items, but um, you have to physically turn it on. I don't want it, you know, listening all the time. And this doesn't suggest that, you know, I'm murdering people in the house or anything, but it's just... <laughs> I know. Isn't that the weird thing, right? If anyone requests privacy in their life, like, why? What are you hiding? What's wrong with you? The simple answer to that is, do you have curtains? It's like, well, yes. It's like, well, why are you doing nothing nothing to hide, surely? And it's just like, you know, yes, but people like privacy. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's just one of those things. I mean, was kind of tempted um, by getting... Oh, here we go. Here we go. Getting outside video cameras, uh -huh. um, one for the inside of the front door just for security. Oh, it's crouching. It's getting close there to the boundary, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, but then, you know, Amazon announced deals with US law enforcement that they could hand over your footage at any time. And it was like, do I really want to be part of a huge surveillance network? So I'm keeping my eye out for an open source, non-corporate security camera system that I could set up and run myself. All that's going to take is a couple of weeks of free time and um, an awful lot of research. Or, or a very knowledgeable listener. Please feel free to get in touch with Ian Thompson. Yeah. Oh, yes. If any listeners have any problems, by all means, drop me a line. But, okay, you have a phone, though, right? And you carry your phone with you all the time. Do you, and that is definitely the the quintessential IoT smart device, really, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it has been one of the most ridiculously humorous things about the anti-COVID people over here. So it's putting microchips in you to chat, you know, to, to track you underneath. Sent from my iPhone. <laughs> yes. you, <know>? yes. <laughs> <laughs> you just paid $1,000 for your own spying device. I do carry a smartphone, but I will say this. Location is only on when it's needed and then it gets turned off immediately. The same with Bluetooth, same with Wi-Fi. Mm. Quite strict about keeping handsets locked down. And the first thing you do when you get any new bit of kit is go through and see what's extraneous and take it out. I want to ask you about your, if I may, about your partner. Does she share the same mindset as you? Uh, she's not that bothered either way, to be honest. She too was slightly freaked out by the listening in thing. If they could get a convincing use case, you know, if she could actually 
The one use case which I, I haven't shown her because I know she'd be way too tempted for, but uh, a friend of mine has an automatic cat feeder with a camera in it and a microphone so he can call the cat to the cat feeder and feed it all the time. <laughs> I think she might go for that. Uh-huh. And that's like exactly the kind of kit that would be more likely to have security flaws simply because there's it's it's an industry so far removed from that of, you know, cyber and IT security, isn't it? Exactly. And it's the last thing they think about. Right. And, okay, case in point, uh, I went to a DEF CON briefing uh, a few years back where they looked up smart home locks, you know, the uh, where you come in and you press the app and there's no to get your key out. Out of 12 f- smart locks, 11 were broadcasting the code in plain text. All you needed to do is stick a receiver on a bush outside the house, wait for the person to come home, and you've and you got the key to the house. The one that did actually encrypt its signal was so flimsily built, you could open it with a screwdriver. I take physical security seriously, but also data security. And yeah, I think, as I say, I've written an, an awful lot of stories about these IoT devices that security, it's it's kind of... Windows 98 levels of security. You know, it just wasn't built with that in mind. Well, listeners, please tweet at the CyberWire if you have any use cases that you think might change Ian's mind. (laughs) Ian Thompson, journalist at The Register, thank you so much for sharing your IoT fears. This was Carol Terrio for Hacking Humans. Joe, what do you think? My favorite term, global Luddite. <laughs> I was worried about my Ludditeness. Is that a word? I don't even know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ludditude. <laughs> uh, I could go on about this. Uh, I won't. But I was worried about my me being perceived as a Luddite last week and talking about that when I was uh, worrying about cloud technology. Mm-hmm. Um, I, one of the things I absolutely love is that uh, Ian's first computer is a ZX86 or 81, rather. I still have my ZX81, the old Timex <laughs> from uh, Sinclair. Oh, yeah, I remember. It was. Yeah. Uh, do you ha- did you ever have one of those? I did not, no. My first computer was a TRS-80. Okay. But, you know, so, so at the same time, I certainly remember them. Yeah, real yeah. keys on the TRS-80. Yeah, yeah, we <laughs> the, were living large, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the ZX81 <laughs> just has like what they call a peanut butter keyboard. The membrane, yeah. Yeah, the membrane. It was terrible. It was. Um, but you could enter entire basic commands with one keystroke. Mm-hmm. That was nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ian makes a really good point uh, that the use case for a lot of these things is just not convincing enough. Hmm. Uh, And he also says that he doesn't trust the companies that make these smart things. Yeah. And those two go hand in hand for why I don't have very many IOT things in my house either. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't have an Alexa device. I I do have a, uh, a a Google uh, home thing. You know, one of those Google Mm -hmm. home speakers still in the cellophane. <laughs> okay. Somebody doing, gave doing it to a lot me. of good. Yeah. Somebody somebody <laughs> gave it to me. I don't want to set that thing up. I remember when Alexa came out and I went to my wife and I said, Hey, look at this cool thing. We'll be able to talk to it. Mm-hmm. And my wife is like, I can't believe you of all people wants to put a bug in your house. And I'm like, <laughs> Good huh, point. That's right. <laughs> right. Right. Um, I have turned off my Google Assistant as well. Mm. But not because of privacy concerns, although that's kind of, it's kind of a benefit. I have found that the product is just a terrible product that does not work. Mm. It, it is 
garbage from front to back. It never gives me the right answer to any question I ask, and it, <laughs> I hate it. So that's okay. why I got angry one day and turned it off. All right. Never and looked back. I said, you know what? And I'll enjoy the <laughs> privacy. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I still do have my location settings on. Mm-hmm. I share my location with my family. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's there's a use case for that Yeah. Uh, that I, I see value in. Um, but I like his comeback to the question about why do you want all this privacy? What are you afraid of? And his comeback is simply, do you have curtains on your house? Mm-hmm. You know, well, what are you afraid of? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's a great analogy, a great uh, analogy question. Yeah. I, I love it. It's, it's awesome. I'm going to use that. Uh, there is something here that Ian touches on, uh, and I, and I think it deserves a little bit more exploration here. Okay. Uh, if you want a camera system in your house that isn't essentially out of the box government surveillance, like for law enforcement, right. Like with the ring camera or anything else. Right. Uh, you need to spend a lot of time and, uh, research and probably a lot more money building a system that will do everything the ring already does. Yes. So that's kind of the value proposition of the Ring doorbell and all these other surveillance devices. Right. It's easy. It's easy. Yeah. You don't have to spend the time doing that. All you have to do is give us all your private information, let us show everything you want. we want to show to law enforcement to law enforcement, and you're all done. Right. Right? <laughs> Ooh, that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I still don't have a camera on my house either. Mm. Not yet anyway. I mm-hmm. will soon, though. I am looking into the uh, into the... The, the standalone solutions that don't upload things to the cloud mm-hmm. or maybe upload things to my own private cloud. There you go. You know? Yeah, that seems like a good uh, compromise. Right. I would certainly want to make sure that if I had something cloud-enabled that it was somehow encrypted and that the provider wasn't able to decrypt it. Yeah, that would be an important distinction, Yeah. right? That you, yeah. that you upload these things and that they remain private to you even after they go up to the cloud. Right. That would uh, help keep uh, the opportunity for law enforcement to rifle around right. your video recordings. Right. 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 Uh, I do have a smart TV. Yeah. Uh, and a couple of fire sticks yeah. in those smart TVs. I don't like them. I don't like that I have them. <laughs> right. They, the fire sticks don't listen all the time. Uh-huh. Uh, and my smart TV does not have the microphone enabled. I've disabled that. Okay. Uh, but the Samsung, it's not a Samsung. Uh, one of my favorite things was the Samsung terms terms and conditions at one point in time said don't have private conversations around the TV. <laughs> okay, sure. And I was like, what? That can't be real. That was real. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then Ian goes on to talk about his Samsung headphones. Uh, I have a, a pair of LG earbuds right here in my hot little hands, Dave. Yeah. Uh, that I got off of Amazon. I said, because I needed a pair of earbuds for my laptop. Okay. Because I got sick of trying to connect everything to one one laptop. But then it says, try it on your phone, and all these other cool features come on. Hmm. And I install the app on the phone, and it goes, oh, here's all the permissions we need. Uh. And I was like, I see. It was a, a very similar <laughs> uh, very similar condition. Right. Uh, I I don't use them for my phone. I only use them for my laptop. Uh-huh. Um, I use a very cheap pair of uh, of of headphones that don't have any apps associated with them for my for my phone. Yeah, uh, I don't know that it collects any information or sends it back to the com- uh, country of origin. Maybe it does. <laughs> Who knows? Um, but but you know, it's an interesting point because all of a sudden uh, those uh, those Apple AirBuds AirPods they're they're not seeming so expensive anymore. Right. You know. Right. <laughs> right. What do they cost? Uh, Two hundred bucks for a pair. They think they start at a hundred bucks and go up. You know, go up 
from there as much as you want to pay. Right. But um, how much would you like to pay? Yeah, I'd like but, to pay three thousand dollars. Says Dave Vittner. Yeah, we 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 have a pair for you for that. Sure, right. step right up. But um, but that's real. I mean that that's that's part of we you. I think you and I have talked about this. That's part of why smart TVs have gotten so cheap. Right. Because yeah, they have the a data. way to make money on the back end. Right. All the data that they provide. Yeah. You know, it wouldn't be great if I could just buy a a a fifty five inch monitor that doesn't have any of that intelligence built into it and yes. put my own computer into it. Yes. Sure, that's going to cost you five thousand dollars. Right. Exactly. Right. Or I could pay a tenth of that, literally a tenth of that, to get a fifty five inch TV. Yep. Uh, that does everything else. Maybe I just you know what the simple solution is just don't connect it to the internet. Good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I seriously, I think we're coming to the point where some of these devices, they will not be functional if they're not connected to the internet. Yeah, uh, Ian was talking about that. One, of the, he was saying some of the devices were bricked when they were disconnected from the internet. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's, that's awful. Yeah, that's unconscionable. That should be something that the FTC finds somebody for. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. On the privacy front, there's an interesting conversation about the uh, the consolidation of all these different companies like Amazon buying a health insurance company uh, and Whole Foods and uh, other other organizations. And there's all kinds. Oh, uh, Roomba. Roomba is one. Oh, yeah. That, uh, I had never been happier that I had skipped out on buying a Roomba in my life than when Amazon <laughs> bought, the, bought Roomba as a company. Yeah. I was like, well, I dodged a bullet there. Uh, give Amazon a map of the interior of your home. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Um, right. and you know, I, I know that we sound like paranoid nut jobs and tinfoil hat wearers when we say that, but that's exactly what the information they're going to have. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah, it's true. We laugh because otherwise we would cry. Right. Correct. <laughs> it was a great interview. I really love having Carol on the show and, uh, Ian is, um, Ian is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Again, our thanks to Carol Terrio for, uh, bringing that great interview to us. We always love having her back on the show. And that is our show. We want to thank all of you for listening. Our thanks to Harbor Labs and the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at harborlabs.com and isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our senior producer is Jennifer Iben. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening.